0: If you'd remain standing, our scripture comes from Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Good to be here with you all this morning on this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Last week we kicked off our sermon series for Advent where we're looking at some of the more common passages in the Gospels and those individuals that we're reading about in terms of what they tell us and what they let us know about Jesus. And so as we read these passages, I want to invite you uh, to join me in attempting to set aside your familiarity with these passages, which I know is hard because sometimes we read them so often that we feel like we know them and so we kind of skip over parts of them. Last week I compared reading the Gospels and these portions of the scripture to reading some of your favorite books or book series. I have a number of books that you know I return to I read fairly often like every couple of years and as I read these books and more and more I find myself skipping pages or at least lightly skimming parts of pages because I know what it's gonna say. And when I do, sometimes I catch myself realizing that what I just skipped is something that I'm going to need later because the author references or talks about it. And I think there's a similar risk for us when it comes to reading the Bible, especially the Gospels of Jesus Christ, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because we can become so familiar with the parts of the story, or at least think that they're familiar, that we miss part of it, we overlook part of it, and we do so not because we're, we're you know, try, there's nothing negative about it. We just do it because they're familiar and because we're comfortable with them or we think they know what they say or at least we, we, or we do know what they say. And so much like reading a, a well-read book, uh, we might find ourselves skipping passages, skipping verses that sometimes can keep us from connecting the dots. And when we read all of the Scripture, we may find parts that we have not noticed before, or the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to, to something new that we've never read before, or it could be, depending of where we are in our spiritual walk and where we are in terms of, of just our faith journey, we might read it and all of a sudden see something and interpret something or, or think of something in a new way, and God will give us or open our eyes just a little bit more. So last week we spent some time reading the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is um, in Luke chapter 1. They are the parents of John the Baptist. And a quick synopsis of them, they were unable to have children. Uh, Zechariah is a a priest in the temple, and so uh, the angel of the Lord meets him in the temple and promises him a son. Now Zechariah's story is uh, much like most of ours because when the angel appears to him, he says, well, how can this be? And so the angel tells him he would be unable to speak until the child is born and that what had been promised him would happen. And so the the baby was born, his name was John, and as God instructed, as the angel told him what would happen, Zechariah's mouth was opened, God released his lips, and he was then able to praise God there with his family. And so I think from Zechariah's story, there's a couple of things that we can learn. First is that God can handle our questions and our doubts. So if you feel like God is, is calling you to do something or leading you to do something or there is just something in your life that, that things, um, you just there's, there's something more and you don't know what it is and you have questions about that, I'm going to tell you now, if you look at Zechariah's story, God didn't set him aside when he questioned. God still had a plan for him. God still needed him to fulfill and accomplish his plan and so God didn't set him aside. I think the other thing that, that from Zechariah's story is that, uh, as I was thinking about it, is that in our times of silence, sometimes that's when we are able to feel or find God in an even greater way. I have to think during his time of quiet, his faithfulness grew, his faith grew, his hope grew, because he knew in what was happening, and he knew that God was present in his life. And so that's a couple of things that I think we can take from Zechariah's story. And so today I want to start with our scripture, and then we're going to work backwards, actually, um, because our scripture is, is farther in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not the birth story of Jesus, as we talk about Joseph. And so our scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13. I know Matthew, uh, this portion of, of scripture in Matthew is not one that we read during the Advent season ever. And so I think it's a helpful scripture, though, if we get to thinking about the ministry of Joseph, the call of Joseph, and what God had uh, selected or chosen Joseph to do in being the father of Jesus. It gets us thinking. So let's set the stage. Uh, In Matthew 13, it's in Matthew's gospel. uh, In Matthew 13, Jesus has begun his ministry. Uh, His ministry is picking up steam and what I mean by that is that Jesus is changing lives Crowds are are beginning to gather wherever he stops with the disciples. Others are following him people are talking about him and They're sharing what they have heard what they have seen and what they have witnessed him do and so as Jesus's ministry is growing in a good way We also have to remember that that means the way that he is challenging the religious authorities and he's challenging the idea of a faithful life as what you do in the temple instead of what God does in your heart is really pushing the establishment. Because he's teaching and he's preaching and he's proclaiming a a kingdom that's like none other, which is God's kingdom. And so in Matthew 13, you can go look and Jesus has has just preached a a series of sermons where he's used parables. Any of these parables you and I are familiar with. They're the wheat and the weeds, of mustard seeds and of yeast, of a hidden treasure and a pearl. And then Matthew writes, after he had finished teaching these things, he heads to his hometown of Nazareth. And so Matthew says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. So I think there's some interesting things that we can take from Jesus' experience in the synagogue of Nazareth that we can apply to Joseph and we can apply to who Jesus was. I think the first thing we can take is, is the fact that they are questioning how Jesus can, can be teaching in the synagogue. How are you the one performing miracles? How are you the one doing these things? Why are all these other people following you and listening you? Obviously they've heard of what's happened, right? Obviously they've heard of what Jesus has done in these other communities. They have heard of, of the people whose lives he has changed. And so as they're questioning who Jesus is, you'll notice they didn't do anything. Is he listed by name at all? No. Who do they refer to him as? It says, who is this man that's teaching us these things? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And so they identify Jesus not by who he was and what God has done, Or what God is doing in him, and what he is doing is God himself walking amongst the people. But they identify Jesus by who? By being Joseph's son. And then they identify, they say, well isn't this his mother Mary? Isn't this his sisters? Aren't these his brothers? What does that tell us? I think the first thing that that tells us is that uh, we can get a picture of Jesus' childhood in Nazareth and we could see that it was normal. I mean, he went to the temple when he was 12 and stayed in the temple and when Mary and Joseph went to travel back to Galilee uh, and they couldn't find him after three days' journey and they went back and he was sitting in the temple talking with the rabbis. But I think it tells us in Nazareth what? Is that Jesus was just Jesus. And I think that what it can also show us is that Joseph lived fully into the role that God had given him or chosen him to be. Which was to be the earthly father of Jesus himself. I think this means that that Jesus was raised like his brothers that are listed in the Gospel of Matthew. I think that Jesus was raised alongside his sisters that Matthew lists as well. And I think it gives us an indicator because he is identified in Nazareth, not by what he has done, not by who he is, but by his Father. And I think this is important. It's important for us today to be able to say that we know that what the Gospels tell us is true about Jesus. I think it's important for us to know because throughout history in the church, there have been others who have attempted to fill in the blanks. When it comes to the childhood of Jesus and to these unexplainable or, or unlisted times in his life that we don't really know much about. And so there's the books that have been written by humans that are not guided by the Holy Spirit that are trying to fill this in. And some of these books are trying to say that, that Jesus is fully human but he is not divine. Others attempt to say that Jesus was not, divi- not fully human at all but that he was only divine. And so they, they, they go to these extremes to try and present who they are and what does the Gospels tell us that Jesus was. The Gospels tell us that he was both fully man and fully human. John tells us he was the incarnation. Matthew tells us he is the rightful king of Davidic descent who has come. And I just forgot what Luke tells us. Does anyone have it? Okay. <laughs> But I think here's the thing, right, is that what Matthew wants us to see is that Jesus' miraculous powers were not evident. Like, the people that he was raised with did not know that he was the Son of God until God baptized him in the River Jordan when his cousin John the Baptist laid hands on him. I think before that time, the only people that knew anything extraordinary about who Jesus was and what Jesus was, was his mother and, his, and Joseph and his father. And so that's what we get. We get from the Gospels what they tell us about Jesus. They give us this full picture of who Jesus was. They give us a full understanding of who we can believe Jesus to be. How he's both fully God, he's both fully man, he's in both, you know, together, and and they cannot be separated. As one who is fully human, Jesus has experienced the full range of emotion that you experience in your life. He experiences the temptation of sin. As one who is fully divine, he doesn't sin. And through the virgin birth, he's born without sin. In the ancient church, there's a word that they used to describe Jesus that really we don't probably use very often in the contemporary church. And they called Jesus the second Adam. And what they mean by that when saying that Jesus is the second Adam is the acknowledgement that in the book of Genesis, Adam was born without sin, Eve was created, and the two of them were sinless until they ate of the fruit, the tree, uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then sin was introduced into the world. And so what we say or what we believe by Jesus being the second Adam is that in his birth he was sinless and that in his life he remained sinless and that he was was able to accomplish the things that Adam was unable to accomplish, which was to resist sin and to not experience the temptation or even the consequences of sin in his life. He never succumbed to it. And so the only time that Jesus experienced sin is when he took sin upon himself. Which we read about in the Gospels where he takes the sin of the world upon himself when he goes to the cross. Where he restores the very relationship that sin has marred between us and God. So if you think about it, Jesus was the one that Joseph was praying for. The scriptures we know that, that Jesus or Joseph was a faithful man of faith. You know, he prayed to God, he worshipped in the temple, he anticipated, he looked ahead to the Messiah like all did. Jesus was the fulfillment <clears throat> of Isaiah 53, where where they prayed for the one who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom the men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And then here's the scripture we always hear. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus was the one who fulfilled that verse. Or you can look at Isaiah chapter 7 where uh, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel or God with us. Jesus is the one who in Isaiah 9 would sit on King David's throne and who would reign over the kingdom of David himself because of Joseph. Because Joseph was a direct descendant of David. Jesus was a direct descendant of David. If you go look at Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives us the genealogy of Joseph. You know, Luke gives us the genealogy of Mary, but Matthew gives us Joseph's genealogy because he wants us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of every word in the Old Testament as Israel prayed for a Messiah, as they looked for the one that would deliver them as they anticipated the one who would change the world. And so Matthew 1 tells us that uh, uh, Jesus' mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. which means God's with us. And so here's where it tells us about Joseph. It says, When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He went and he took Mary home to be his wife. When Joseph woke, he did. He did what the angel had commanded him. Matthew doesn't tell us you know, how much time has passed between Mary going to Joseph and letting him know about her visit of the angel Gabriel and telling him what had happened. Matthew doesn't tell us how long Joseph considered these things or molded them over before the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We don't know if it took hours, if it took days, if it took weeks. But it does tell us what Joseph did and that he acted faithfully. When given the opportunity by God, he got up and went and took Mary to be his wife and brought her home. He didn't turn and go another way hoping that God would pass him by and pick someone else. He didn't go and find a boat and set off for Tarshish. He didn't get a woolen fleece and lay it on the ground and challenge God to soak the fleece by and, and to leave the ground around it bone dry, and then the next night to do the opposite. Friends, Joseph didn't even ask God why or how is this possible, like his, his relative Zechariah did. He got up and he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he obeyed. He obeyed in raising Jesus. He obeyed when an angel of the Lord came to him in the night. And he even obeyed later in Matthew's gospel when an angel of the Lord appeared to him again in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child in order to kill him. So he got up. It's like the, exactly the same thing when the angel came to him to tell him to, marry, to, to uh, take Mary to be his wife. You've got to watch during Advent. You can't say married Mary really fast because then it gets together. But um, Joseph, you know, he got up and went. And he did that. And then later, we're able to see in the scripture where another scripture is fulfilled. It says, and so, that, uh, so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then a third time Joseph got up and went. It says, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared and dreamed to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And it just says, so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and he went back to the land of Israel. <clears throat> Friends, he got up and he responded by by the Word of God. As we are invited to do in terms of living our life with faith, and by doing, and by acting. He did not pause, he did not question, he did not try to avoid what God was calling him to do. I feel like he was able to to be the earthly father of Jesus, even without fully understanding what that would mean. And he did so faithfully. By teaching Jesus to pray, by reciting the Torah to him, by teaching him the skills needed to be a carpenter, and by doing the other things that that he would have done as a father. But I also think that we can look to Joseph and we can see how he acted. How in faith God invites us to act, and how in faith God needs us to just get up and go. Because every time the angel of the Lord appeared to him, what does it say he did? It says he woke, he got the child and his mother, and he went. He woke, he went, he got Mary and brought her home to be his wife. He woke. And God worked in his life in ways that he had never imagined. And I think for us, the promise in that is that whenever we work or whenever we step forward in faith in terms of what God wants for us, God is there with us. And he equips us and he enables us and he meets us wherever we are at so that we can accomplish the things that are of him and the things that are for him, especially as we prepare the way in this season.